0: Demons, idols, and the prevailing word. So, let's uh, let's continue to pray for our country, but uh, let's put first what needs to be first, and that is the word of God and our Lord above all. So, demons, idols, and the prevailing word is what we have before us. We're in Acts chapter 19, and we'll be uh, looking at verses 11 uh, through 41. So, demons, idols, and the prevailing word. Let's read, though beginning in verse 11, which says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mildly. Oh, Heavenly Father, we want to commit this time of study into your hands, Lord, asking for your blessing. Open up. Our understanding, help us to see this for what it is, Lord, your word. And, Lord, in that understanding, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Lord, how to rightly apply the truth of your word in our lives. To perhaps speak to things in our lives. Lord, to correct that which needs to be corrected. Lord, to strengthen that which needs to be strengthened. And, Lord, to learn to honor you. Lord, because we demonstrate our love for you by how obedient we are to your word. And Lord, help us to be accurately obedient in our lives to you, because we love you, and we want to bless and honor you. So we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know that, um, you know, the Apostle Paul is in Ephesus. Uh, We know that there are a few others who are with him. At this point, remember that the Apostle Paul went from um, reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue. He did that for several months, and then from there, um, they, they started to really come against him, and they, were, they, they basically pushed him out of the synagogue. He went to the Hall of Tyrannus, and there he taught every single day uh, the Word of God. And, uh, and it was in that place that he uh, continued to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was because of his work uh, there in the Hall of Tyrannus and in, in just in the community as a whole, that it says here, as we read, that everyone in Asia had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I want to start out just with that thought. You know, to think about how it is that the Lord, God himself, used one man to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ... To not a small area. This was a big area, uh, and and everyone it says everyone in that region heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, what God can do with one person who is completely yielded, committed, devoted to the Lord, and willing to stand up boldly for Him to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, if you think that, uh, you know, you know, who are you? Uh, you think very. You know that that you can't really <clears throat> do much that you're not effective, think again, because what the Lord can do through someone who's completely yielded to him and devoted to him committed to him uh, is truly amazing is truly amazing. You can impact not only your family but you can impact a community, you can impact those that God places before you to influence them. The apostle Paul I mean he was just one instrument, and imagine that. The whole area of Asia, Asia, knew because Paul took the time to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's when we're fooled into thinking we cannot be used that uh, we're correct. And God cannot use us because we're not willing. So the apostle Paul was willing And he was used mildly by the Lord where the spirit of God is moving and where there is an effective work of God in the lives of people. There is also an opposition that attempts to undermine and steal what God desires to do. Uh, Those are the things that we need to be aware of, you know, that where the Lord is doing a work. And and I want to speak to you individually, because I know that each and every one of us is at war, right? There are these things that we desire to do for the Lord, and then there's this opposition. So this, there's this battle that's happening within each and every one of us. We desire to do something for the Lord, but then sometimes we think, we can't do it. Who am I? I don't even really know much. And so we just are paralyzed. We're fearful of what other people will think, what they'll say, and so on and so forth. And we do nothing. Nothing. But where there is no fear, where we stand up. In fact, the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy, you know, we are not given a spirit of fear, right? Uh, But a power, of courage, of a sound mind, of discipline, you know, to truly rest in the promises of God and stand confidently in Him. But there's this opposition that happens. So let us be aware of that. Let us acknowledge that and know that uh, He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, Ephesians six twelve says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." First Peter five eight. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know the manner in which the opposing forces of evil come against God is not always obvious. You know we think, well, it's going to be obvious when it when it comes against me, against us. Not always. It's not always obvious to the untrained person, the undisciplined person, the person who is not aware of the truth of God's word. The truth is found here in God's word, in the Bible. And an easy way to get fooled and deceived, manipulated, is by not knowing the word of God. If one does not know, then that person is most vulnerable to the schemes of the devil and can be deceived into believing some very destructive worldly views. Very easily manipulated. You know, one of the things, and um, primarily, that Satan goes after is the mind. If he controls, if he can manipulate how you think, then he can manipulate and take you down the path of destruction. You can be coerced into thinking those things that are opposed to the Lord, those things that are lofty as far as the world is concerned, but not so much the things of which the Lord is concerned. You know, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, and I want to put it first in the King James Version because this is the way that we um, remember it most often. This is the way I heard it uh, initially as I became a Christian is where there is no vision, the people perish. Have you heard that? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So what does that mean? Uh, Oftentimes it's taken out of context and it has to do with me, myself, and I. um, You know, putting out goals and dreams and putting those out before you to the point to where, you know, as you pursue those goals and dreams, then you are that happy person. That's not what this is saying. That's taken completely out of context. Uh, the ESV says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Sounds quite different, doesn't it? But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no prophetic vision, well, in other words, the vision that ought to be propelling us forward and by which we find our motivation and our intentions is found in the very word of God. That's the prophetic vision that is referred to in Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen. And wherever the people reject the word or are neglected the word, that is, not taught the word, the people are without rooted and true encouragement and hope. They are without God's hope and purpose and therefore are easily taken by the lies and deception of the enemy of God, the flesh, the world, and Satan. People are more inclined to give in to the lust of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, and the pride of life because there is no restraint from truth, and of truth in their lives. And this is what we're learning about this morning. The deception of idolatry and the destruction of demons. But know that in the midst of this, it says in verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Will the word of the Lord increase and prevail with you and here with us? collectively demons idols and the prevailing word let's first take a look at what happened here with the sons of Skeva. starting in verse 11 it says and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them now I want to first address that you know while Paul was in Ephesus there were some pretty amazing things that were taking place Uh, They were happening there, and it's truly beyond our comprehension. These were miracles. But I want to point out that verse 11, the one that we just read, says that God was doing extraordinary miracles. It wasn't the Apostle Paul, and it wasn't anyone else. It says there, and God was doing extraordinary miracles. Let's stop there for a moment, and let's acknowledge the fact that those things that are miracles are not because any one person has great power or a great anointing or anything like that. It is because God wills it to be done. That's why I love when someone is sick and we pray over them. At times, God chooses to heal them, but I am so glad it's not one person praying for them, and then they get healed, something happens, and then that person, we are inclined to give them the glory. It's like, oh my goodness, he used you to heal me. And and now we keep going back to that person, right? That's how... Cults begin. You know, we pray over that person in groups and, and, uh, you know, come to the elders and we'll pray for you. We'll anoint you with oil. And sometimes the Lord, again, chooses to heal. But we have no idea if he used anybody and who he did. Well, that's great, but all glory to God. That's how it should be. But we cannot deny the fact that God was using this man, the Apostle Paul. It says here, and God was doing extraordinary, miracle, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And so he was using him. He was working through him to do this. You know, the Apostle Paul was able to, to take this kind of, um, you, say, you can say, responsibility on without glorifying himself. Without people coming to him and allowing them to worship him. That's one of the things that we ought to point out as well. But God was using the Apostle Paul, but it wasn't anything in Paul that was causing these healings or these exorcisms to take place. But rather the power and the will of God. That's it, period. Truly amazing and truly unusual. And so this is what was happening here in Ephesus. And it was while these things were happening that we are introduced to the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva. We don't know their names, but we we do know the name of their father. And he had these seven sons that were performing these exorcisms. Verse uh, 12 says, or uh, I'm sorry, 13 says, And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Quick question Is a work of exorcism, the exorcism of evil spirits? Good or bad? To cast out evil spirits from someone. Is that wouldn't that be good? Yeah, it's good. It wasn't a trick question. It's good, right? It's like, okay, if someone is possessed by a demon, it'd be a good thing to have that demon expelled, right? That's a good thing. Can it be taken lightly or just done by anyone? The answer is no. No, I mean, this is a great example of that, right? These men were desiring to do a good work. But they didn't know the one whose name they were invoking. They didn't know him personally. And it's interesting how this demon that possessed this man answered them. That'd be like crazy just right then and there, right? But this has happened. It happened then and it's happening today as well. These demons acknowledged Jesus and Paul, but they said, we don't know. In other words, you know, Jesus, Paul, and others, you know, they're, they're a threat to the realm of darkness. But you guys are of no threat to us whatsoever. And they were easily overpowered. In fact, it says here that... The man in in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, all seven, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They were all seven of them, beat up, stripped, and thrown out the door. They they ran out, and just like that, they were using the name of Jesus but they did not know Jesus. They knew about Jesus, but they did not have a personal salvific relationship with him. He was not their Lord and definitely not their Savior. They just knew him by name. They knew about him. Many people today invoke the name of Jesus when they want to without really knowing him. And many are in danger of going to hell and being overpowered by Satan ultimately and eternally because they have no personal relationship with Jesus. You know, it's it's when people use the name of Jesus very flippantly um, when there's trouble. Um, they even ask a person who they know that has a relationship with Jesus, perhaps it's happened to you, hey, can you pray for me? Um, you know, thinking that, and it happens to me um, all too often because I'm a pastor and, uh, and I work in a hospital as well as a chaplain, that they, they tell me, they say, well, you know, you're close to God. Why don't you pray for me? Or you do this or you do that. And sometimes they invoke the name of the Lord. But without a personal relationship with him, they have no power because the Spirit does not indwell them. You know, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I read that again because I want to emphasize that. You know, this is where the battle is serious and it's very real. And again, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. This is the very nature of the enemy. That's what he wants to do to each and every one of us. And you can't know the Jesus of the pastor. You can't know the Jesus of your mother or the Jesus of your friend at work or the Jesus of your neighbor. You have to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior for that relationship to be personal and be empowering and be saving. You have to know Him personally. Jesus says, or the, the Bible says that if, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, right? It's you. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to have that point of surrender in Christ. You know, Romans ten nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. These men were trying to do a work, and they didn't have the backing to do that very work. They, they weren't equipped to, they, they weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so, and they certainly were not covered by God in Christ. They had no relationship with Jesus and no spiritual power against the evil spirits, and they were overpowered, beaten, and stripped naked and sent running. You know, for us, if, if we want to invoke the name of the Lord, we need to know him personally. Do you know him personally? When when you invoke, when you proclaim, when you declare the word of God, do you know Jesus personally? And is that reflected by the way you live your life? By how you think and the things that you say? Because demons do the work of their master, and their master is Satan. He steals, kills, and destroys, according to John 10.10. 10. That's what he's out to do. So I want to, first of all, just as, as we read through that, just acknowledge how it is that um, demons are very real. They're very present, and they're doing the bidding of their master, Satan. And so he's, he's active, and they're active today. And, and I'm very sure that he's active and they're active among us because they want to do a, a, an undermining work here and destroy what the Lord is desiring to do among, among us. So let us acknowledge that. Let us understand that. But then we have these other things called idols. And I, I'm going to skip a few verses here, and then we're going to come back to them. But let's go to uh, verse 21. Verse 21. Verse 21 says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So a couple of those uh, that were companions of his were sent away, but yet he stayed there in Ephesus. Verse 23, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, that is, concerning Christianity, those who were followers of Jesus Christ. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, Artemis, uh, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, "'Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth.'" This is the goddess Diana, is who we're referring to here, or who is being referred to here. Now, verse 28 says, When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with with the confusion, uh, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him, and even some of the uh, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So we have this uh, situation arise. uh, Things just get out of control quickly. Uh, These, uh, again, you know, Paul's companions, a couple of them were sent off, but he remains there. And after two years of Paul preaching and teaching in Ephesus, a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, uh, of Diana, uh, and made a lot of money for himself and many others in the city, were selling these statues and images, rose up because of one thing. They were losing money. It, It was all because of money. You know, it's not money is not the root of all evil. Did you know that? What is it? The love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. So we see Demetrius. How does that? He blamed their money loss on Paul. And so he got together everyone who was involved in that trade in some way, shape, or form. And he got them together and he stirred them up. The men of the city that were in the business of making these statutes, these idols, and selling them. That's who he got together. He got them all together. And he stirred them up. Verse 26 says, And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Um, you know, if, if we were to say that today, you know, like oh, so Rawls accusing us of making these these gods, and they're not even gods. You know, how dare him say that? You know, what would we, we be thinking, right? It's like this this figure taking this piece of wood and and uh, making it into a form. It's like if I can create something, it's not it's not God, right? Just to think about that is really ridiculous. Uh, Turn with me to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. In Psalm 135 and verse 15. The word says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, they have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. This is this is the word of God. This is this is not again anyone's opinion. This is just a fact, right? This this object that has no life in it. They were worshiping. Something to idolize, something to lift above, above the Lord. It, it's interesting to me that a man needs to stir up the people to defend their gods. Verse 27 says, And there is danger, not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And it is true, the world was worshiping this, god, this goddess. They're worshiping her. And yet what he's saying, what he's even confessing, is that it is possible, if we allow this to continue with, the, with Paul doing this and teaching about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that perhaps they will depose our God from her throne. Is, is anything or anyone able to depose God from his throne? No, nothing. I'm not concerned about it. I hope you aren't either, right? There's nothing in this world that can take him off of his throne. He is on, he's on his throne securely. He always has been, is, and always will be for all eternity. And so that's why I found it interesting that just just in what he was saying, how it was that he was stirring up all the people, they should have recognized that this is no God at all. And the people were convinced of what Demetrius was saying, and they began to chant, and they were enraged. It, It describes them coming together, and it was that mob mentality, and they were all enraged, and they even found some of Paul's companions unfortunately, and dragged them into the theater where the people were absolutely in a frenzy. Had no good intentions for these poor guys that were dragged into the theater. It says that Paul wished to go in among them. In verse 31 says, and even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Verse 32 says, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. That's what happens in a mob. You just go along with the crowd. You have no real understanding of why. Why did, well, If you were to ask someone in a mob, not everyone would know. You know, kind of interview them. Why are you here? I don't know, man. This is crazy, you know, but I hate you and I hate you. And, you know, are you opposed to us? Like, what are you for, though? It's like... Ask him or ask her, right? That's what happens, though, when you're not thinking clearly. You have no idea. You're just brought into this frenzy. It's like it says here, In most of them, this is most, most of them did not know why they had come together. They're just a part of it. They're just falling along. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So apparently for two hours, they just shouted over him. They just, like, whatever it is that Alexander has to say, now we know that he's a Jew, there's no way. drown him out, just yell, and yell really loud, so he doesn't have a, a chance to say anything. That's what they were doing. They were just stirred up in this frenzy. They were confused. This crowd was confused, chaotic, and the crowd was truly dangerous. But here we have Paul. Paul had to be, think about this. Paul had to be restrained by his friends. You're like, no, Paul, I, you want to go into the theater? Do you not see this crowd? They're in a frenzy. They have no good intentions, especially toward you. You're the one that started all of this. Why would you want to go and put yourself in the middle of everything? And so they had to restrain him. They had to pull him back. The Apostle Paul just wanted to set the record straight. He wanted to go in and protect his friends that were in the middle of all of this. Are we like that with each other? We should be. When we're in the middle of a place to where we find ourselves in trouble, we should have friends like the Apostle Paul. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to go in there and pull my friend out. I'm going to go in there and encourage my brother or sister in the Lord. I'm going to go into the middle of the fire. And I'm willing to do everything. You know what the greatest of loves is? Is to be willing to lay down one's life for another. That's a true friend. One that's willing to do that. So here we have the Apostle Paul who is willing to go in there. And he had to be restrained. He had to be pulled back so that he wouldn't go into the middle of it all. So this man by the name of Alexander, a Jew, he came into the theater Again, but when they found out that he was a Jew, they chanted for two hours, two solid hours, two hours. After that, there was a city clerk that somehow managed to get the crowd quiet, quiet enough to have Alexander address everyone. And so it says here in verse 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there? Uh, Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls, let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The fear was more for the Roman authorities. In what the Roman authorities would hold them guilty of and the fact that much of the world was not swayed by the message that Paul was preaching and there was still much money to be made this is really this was this was the the reasoning that Alexander had for them hey take this into consideration you guys really don't have anything against them personally but he was trying to help them understand that listen at this point we could be guilty of much more and what could come against us is far worse then losing a little bit of money. But listen, hey, the the whole world is still bringing in lots of cash into Ephesus here and and into the temple of Diana. So take this into account here. Hey, if you guys have something, then hey, listen, the courts are open. Let's go to them. Now, without going into the, the details of exactly what this was, let me just be very clear about this as far as the temple of Artemis. In those days, uh, what would happen is that merchants from around the world would come, uh, kings from from other countries, um, cities would actually make large deposits there because they believed that if they did that, that this deity would protect them and continue to make them fruitful. This deity would do that. So they would come and bring all kinds of precious metals, money, they would bring into the temple. That's what they would do. So this Alexander was saying, that's going to continue. We've lost a little bit of money in statue sales right here, idolatry. But rest assured, the rest of the world is is still bringing in the, the cash. The worship of Diana was the worship of a sex goddess. And so it was a moral worship of something that would drive people away from God. Sexual immorality and the love of money was all found in that temple, in that city. And it was greatly prized. So as people came to know the one true God, the living God, the creator of the universe, the people would turn from worshiping idols, such as were worshiped in Ephesus. Now, one thing that Alexander did point out is that the Apostle Paul wasn't necessarily speaking against any of their gods, but he was simply proclaiming the truth. He was declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. So ignore him because he's not directly opposing anything that we're doing. He said, if you do have anything, take it to the courts. And so Alexander was right. They were in danger of losing much more than a little business. They could be charged with worse and lose everything. They didn't want that to happen. Idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of something or someone other than God, Yahweh, the creator of the universe. Idolatry is defined as the extreme admiration, the love of, or reverence of, or for something or someone. Could be an object or it could be even a person. When you idolize someone or something, you are overpowered personally and driven to do anything to please them or fulfill your desire of gaining something, even at the expense of worshiping God and revering Him and blessing Him. If you or someone else takes you away from worshiping the Lord, then what you're doing is you're putting them in the place of God in your life. It's really quite simple. It really is. I know this is not something that... that people for the most part want to hear. Uh, this is a point of conviction to many of us because we, we have to allow the Lord to examine our own hearts and reveal anything that we're placing in his place, that we're putting in his place. You can say that perhaps you're not regarding other things as more important than the Lord. But if you are, then you're idolizing a person or a thing. What can be those things? And this is the list that really can go on and on and on and on, right? At, let's just start out with the obvious, because we know that uh, people will forsake the Lord for this one thing, and it's sports, right? Sports. Man, it's amazing to me how people can be fanatics of, of teams in certain sports, and And just truly just go like crazy out of their minds to support their teams. they even yell at uh, the screens and throw things at the screens and you know when their their gods are not doing well you know uh sports though it can, it can be overpowering it can be that that can be the very thing that takes the place of God. How about hobbies? You know with hobbies, that can take the place of God. You give that all of your attention, all of your time. You sacrifice so much. a time, talent, and treasure, it all goes into your hobby, and that's what you hold up. But you're not willing to do any of those things for the Lord. Can work be an idol? Your career? It can be, absolutely. Friends? Yeah, friends can too. Do they take you away from... The things of the Lord. How about just leisure? Yeah. People. How about your kids? No, not your kids. Okay. Definitely not your kids. Your spouse. Oh, that's when we start to get into trouble. Right? Dude, that's when it's like, okay, I'm not looking up at him. Because that's where it sometimes hits home. You know, when the parents are led by their children, it's, kind of, it's backwards. It's not kind of bad. It's backwards. You know, the parents are the authority in the home. They should be leading the home. They should be the ones that are, that are guiding, directing, teaching, bringing up. Those are, those. are We're responsible for them, right? But sometimes we can idolize our kids so much that the parents are led by the kids. Whatever makes you happy, whatever it is that you want to do, we'll just go along with it. Right? If you, if you don't want me to go to church on Sunday, that's okay. We don't have to go. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? It's Sunday, fun day. Let's go do something, right? Let's go do it. Um Wednesday. Wednesday, you know, we can't sacrifice a Wednesday, you know, and so let's not let's not go to church, you know. I haven't spent time with you. Let's just spend it together. I said, well, let's just go sit at the Lord's feet together. No. Are you thinking of him more than me? And really, that's what's being said. Are you thinking of God more than me? But, you know, you worship the Lord as as you serve me. No, you're worshiping the spouse is what you're doing. This is where I I, I know, that's why I got quiet, okay? This is what's happened. This is what's happening. Our kids, too. So our spouses. Um, If your spouse dictates whether you will or will not worship and serve God, then he or she is your idol. Because you desire to please them. And that is a greater thing. A greater desire to do. Just not my words. Ten, uh, Matthew chapter 10. Just want to point out a couple areas here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. This is, this is Jesus. Jesus is saying these words. Verse 34 he says do not think that i have come to bring peace to the earth. What? Like every everyone, right? A Miss America, Miss Universe, right? What what would you like to see? Peace on earth, you know, <laughs> right? Jesus said i have not come to bring, bring peace on earth. That's what he said. Do not think that i have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Wow. Oh. For i have come To set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The greatest thing we can do is surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and demonstrate to those around us that it is he whom we love more than those around us. Sometimes there comes division, but with that can come restoration and reconciliation for so many others around us. Because isn't what we desire most is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance? So stand with the Lord and allow sometimes for divisions to happen that others may see your genuineness In your faith in the Lord, and that hopefully one day they too will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to point out to you something else. Again, I'm just pointing to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's go there because I I want you to see with your own eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12. So the word of God says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has, not, has called you uh, to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is a very difficult passage because God hates divorce, right? Right? What is he saying there? If an unbelieving spouse, that it's a husband, let's put it in our terms, husband or wife, right? If an unbelieving spouse, you're a believer, your spouse is unbelieving, and and they are willing to stay with you, and wonderful. That's a covering over your whole family. You you are, because you're in Christ. But what if they don't want to remain with you? But if the unbelieving partner separates, is let it be so. This is like one of those points to where, for us, you're like, I know we read that, but that's really hard to receive because you know what's worse than divorce? is eternal condemnation. That's what's worse. To compromise to the point to where it's like you have an unbelieving spouse, right? And unfortunately, what I see in the church is more women stand up and come to church with or without their unbelieving spouses. I don't see many men coming whether their wives are going to come or not. I just don't see that much. I think a lot of men, unfortunately, they, they compromise. and They're like, hey, you know what, whatever you want. You know, I'm sure the Lord wants us just to stay together and that's it. But then at the same time, you're compromising. You're compromising. This is very difficult, and I understand that. But the Lord wants to know, and you need to know in your own heart, that he is preeminent in your life. That he's your God and nothing and no one else is. The Lord will, will do a work. He desires to do a work. But it says here, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? It isn't, it isn't up to you. It's up to the Lord. And it's up to them, the person, whether they're willing to surrender to the Lord or not. As for you, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's it, Period. Don't compromise. We've gone on long enough, and I don't want to leave on a, like, really, it's a a very serious note, isn't it? But it's true. It's not true because we're all said It's true because God said it, right? Idolatry. Demons and idols destroy a person and drive them away from the Lord and salvation. But what I want to leave you with is how the prevailing word, the, the word of God is prevailing. And, and we see that in verses 17 through 20 as we go back. Let's go back to chapter 19 of Acts. So demons and idols, they they desire to destroy a person and drive them away from the Lord and salvation. But but it says here in verse seven in verse um, 17. It says and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus both Jews and Greeks and fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily prevail so these people saw what took place with the sons of Sceva. and they were filled with fear, and they were compelled to confess their idolatry, revealing what they had been compromising in and with things that were compromising in their homes. Personally, they brought out and destroyed them. They they confess them. This is this is all which I held uh, prominent and preeminent in my life. This, this is it right here. And you know, I don't want to be that person who deals with my faith lightly, like Jesus, the name Jesus is above all names. I, don't know, I do not want to worship anyone or anything else. And by what I've seen, this is a dangerous place to be, to be flippant about my faith, my salvation. Did you know that what they brought out, the people of Ephesus, was in today's value would be in between $1 million and $5 million? It was all, To them, it was trash. It was just all trash. Can you imagine all these things they brought out? And that's why, by the way, Demetrius was upset. Like he saw all of this and he stirred everyone up. As Paul and the others continued to declare the word of God, it says here that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And this is what I would like to conclude with, with some questions in regards to that. Think about this. Who is Jesus to you? Is there anything or anyone that is set before him in your life? Is there evidence to the contrary? Do you know Jesus as Savior and Lord? And will you confess anything that is before him? And will you turn from your idolatry today? It's a question that only those are questions that only you can answer. It's between you and the Lord. You know, salvation comes by confession in the Lord, but it's worked out. The, the word tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, for it to be known, right? That the evidence is known by the fruit that comes from your life. Let me tell you that there's really no great hope for your marriage or your relationship with your kids or anyone else if Christ is not at the center. Be willing to sometimes be in opposition, knowing that you stand with Christ and you can bring them along with you, to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the most loving thing that we can do. But I pray that each and every one of us are in that right place with the Lord. We're not given to idolatry. We're not given to any, anything or anyone else placed above the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be your Lord and your Savior today and forever. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word I know was sobering. I know it was hard. But, Lord, you desired that a work be done this morning. Lord, you're you're a jealous God, not in the bad way, Lord, not in an evil way, for there is no evil in you. Lord, you're you're jealous for us because you desire that we would turn to you through Jesus Christ. That we would know salvation, having been forgiven of all of our sins. And so I pray, Father, for all of us today. If there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that this morning they would confess their sins, that they would just, just ask, Lord, cry out to you. And ask you, Jesus, to be Lord and Savior. And all of us, Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us of placing other people or things before you. Help us to not ever do that again. But to simply walk with you. Love you. Worship you. Praise you. Be grateful for you and the grace and mercy that we have come to know through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So help us us as your people. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide and direct us according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray.